0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Jake Stakes podcast at Oklahoma State University. I'm your host, Jake Ferraro, and today I got a lot to cover, including Oklahoma State's dominant win against the Kansas Jayhawks last Saturday at Boone Pickens Stadium. I will talk about Oklahoma State's next game against the West Virginia Mountaineers. I will give my picks for week nine of the NFL regular season and my picks for the UFC 268 main card this Saturday at Madison Square Garden. I will also talk about some other news that's going on in Oklahoma State's athletics and voted on on my Instagram story. I will give my opinion on the top 10 Cinderella playoff runs in sports history, including the NBA, MLB, NHL, and NFL. Well, <laughs> was anybody surprised about what happened when the Kansas Jayhawks football team came to Stillwater to play the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Let's be honest. Was anybody really surprised about what happened? I mean, you got to feel for Kansas, man. It is so hard to be a Jayhawk fan for football. Oklahoma State came into this game ranked number 15 in the country after they lost the previous week to Iowa State in Iowa. And, man... Did they dominate? And what can I say? It was predictable. It was the most predictable game out of the whole season, if you ask me, in my honest opinion. Oklahoma State, when I recorded last week on ESPN, they said they were a 30.5-point favorite. And I remember thinking to myself if they can't cover 37 and a half or whatever the spread was against the Missouri state bears, how do they cover against Kansas? And remember too, last week, Kansas gave Oklahoma a run for their money and scared them. But I told people last week, there wasn't a moment in that game where I thought the Jayhawks were going to beat the Sooners. So Oklahoma state wins this game 55 to three. Our win is better against Kansas than OU's was. So we got that. But I don't know how much that'll factor for the Big 12 standings or for rankings. Because, I mean, it is Kansas. And I've said, you know, Kansas is a basketball school. They always will be. They've had their moments. They had their few glimpses. I think Gil Sayers went there and they were pretty good in the late 2000s in the late 2000s like 07 or 08 or something like that but man it was so predictable gundy was pulling his starters out in the first half he took sanders out right before halftime at the quarterback position and he put illingsworth or illingworth there's no s in there i apologize shane for that but oklahoma state was able to get three of their quarterbacks into this game bullock came in late in the fourth quarter spencer sanders and shane illingworth each had two touchdown passes in this game oklahoma state rushing combined had 292 yards and three touchdowns seven different cowboys scored a touchdown touchdown In this game. So I think it was phenomenal to see many players on offense get their opportunity to shine when the chance was given and they were able to find a way to get into the end zone. And it was 45 to nothing before KU was finally able to get a field goal on the board and the goose egg was off the scoreboard. And the Oklahoma State defense allowed seven first downs. That is the lowest first downs the Cowboys defense has held an opponent in a game since Mike Gundy has taken over as head coach in 2005. That's pretty good to know since 2005 when he took over. Seven first downs is the lowest total an opponent has gotten in a game. So really... Big props to Gundy for game planning against the Jayhawks. Look, whenever you can hold an opponent to seven first downs in a game, you should usually end up winning the game. Defense was able to hold KU's offense really good. The Kansas quarterbacks combined nine of 18 for 44 yards with three interceptions. Those three interceptions went to Jason Taylor, the second. Colby. Harvell Peel and Nick Session. The Kansas rushing attack only had 99 yards on the ground and with the win Oklahoma State moved up to number 11 in the rankings and They got a lot of help with teams losing that were ahead of them, starting with Michigan losing to Michigan State. That was a game to remember to see the Spartans come back from 30 to 14 down in East Lansing and the state of Michigan can be painted green for this year for football number 10 Ole Miss to Auburn who was ranked number 18 number 12 Kentucky lost to Mississippi State as well and number nine Iowa ended up losing to the Wisconsin Badgers so OSU got a lot of help to climb back up into the rankings last week they came into their game against iowa state ranked number eight in the country and with the help they're at number 11 now the top 10 college football rankings for this week number one georgia number two cincinnati number three alabama number four oklahoma number five michigan state Number six, Ohio State. Number seven, Oregon. Number eight, Notre Dame. Number nine, Michigan. And number ten, Wake Forest. For the first time ever in their program for football, Wake Forest is ranked in the top ten. Congratulations to Wake Forest. The biggest game for college football this weekend, in my opinion, that only involves two top 25 teams that are ranked will actually make it two in the top 15 number 12 auburn travels to college station texas and they will play number 13 texas and m so a lot of stuff went down this past weekend in college football oklahoma state dominant it was good to be back at the Boom Picking Stadium for the first time in four weeks. It was homecoming. It was the 100th anniversary, the Centennial Classic. It was awesome. The streets were flooded. The stadium was packed and it was awesome. Although I will say when OSU started beating Kansas bad, people were leaving in the second quarter because they didn't want to see complete embarrassment from KU. You know, you got to feel for KU a little bit. You know, they started off winning for an upset, and then they've lost every game since that. And it's hard for a Jayhawk fan, but, I mean, they're still basketball school. I will always say that. Moving on for OSU's next game. This Saturday, they travel to Morgantown, West Virginia. They get ready to play the Mountaineers. West Virginia's been pretty streaky this year. They've had moments where you think they can get back and then they don't sh- really show up. They almost beat Michigan State and Oklahoma. The Oklahoma game was is famous this year because that was the game the OU fans started to chant, we want Caleb at the game. So, West Virginia's offense, Jarrett Diggy, their quarterback, 2,071 yards, 11 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, Last week, in their upset win against Iowa State, who came in ranked number 22, Diggy had 370 yards, three touchdowns, and, but he did have two picks. Their running back, Letty Brown, 642 rushing yards on the season with 11 rushing touchdowns. Last week, he was able to crack over 100 yards and two touchdowns against Iowa State. And their leading receiver, Winston Wright Jr., 42 catches, 523 yards. He only has one touchdown on the season, but that touchdown did come in the Iowa State game where he also had six catches for 100 yards receiving. A long road trip for the Cowboys to go to the East Coast to play... The Mountaineers in West Virginia, I remember when I was 11, I happened to go to West Virginia over the Thanksgiving break, and I actually got to see the West Virginia football stadium. I don't remember much of it at all. I was only 11. I will only remember certain things about a stadium or a game in general. And unfortunately, I don't remember much about that football stadium from looking at it on the outside when I went in 2011 for Thanksgiving break. Moving on, I will give my picks for the NFL this week for week nine. Last week, I was nine and six, did not have the best week, but not a good week or bad week, whatever way you want to look at it. Nine and six is over 500, but I thought I could have hit more on some games, but my traditional picks for the NFL this week. We start Thursday night football. We got the Indianapolis Colts hosting the New York Jets. The New York Jets, a surprising win at home against the 6th Cincinnati Bengals. What a game by New York's quarterback White, I think his name is. I don't, rem- I don't know because Zach Wilson's hurt. But I'm going to go with the Colts in this game. I thought that the Colts... Could have ended up winning that game against the Titans, but it didn't happen. But I think the Colts bounce back at home on Thursday night. A California team against an East Coast team for the 12 o'clock games as we start. We got the Las Vegas Raiders going to MetLife Stadium. They play the New York football Giants. Despite giving Kansas City a good game on Monday night, I will go with the Raiders. NFC South Showdown in New Orleans as the Saints host the Falcons. Despite the injury to Jameis Winston, I will still roll with the Saints in this game against the Falcons. A rematch of the 2017 wild card. The Jaguars host the Bills. I'm taking the Bills. Ohio rivalry the Bengals host the Cleveland Browns in this game I'm gonna roll with the Bengals I definitely think they can bounce back after their loss to the Jets a Super Bowl 38 rematch yes that took me a second or two I had a pause there but I got it down The New England Patriots go on the road to play the Carolina Panthers. I will take the Patriots, and I forgot to mention, I will give my cover over-under lock and upset picks for this week, like I always do. This will be my cover of the week. When I looked at about midnight, 1 a.m., as I'm recording this right now, as of Tuesday, November 2nd at 1025 Central Time, New England was a minus three and a half favorite. I love it. I do. Next up, this is the worst game of the week. The Houston Texans go on the road to Hard Rock Stadium to play the Miami Dolphins. I don't even know why I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to take Miami. Next up, we got the Minnesota Vikings going to play the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore hmm, I'm going to go with the Ravens in this game. And last, for the 12 p.m. games, the Denver Broncos go to AT&T Stadium to play the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going with the Cowboys. That was a phenomenal win on Sunday night against the Vikings. Not many people thought that would happen, especially me. I'll admit, I took the Vikings when it was announced that Dak Prescott would not play. I thought the Vikings became more of a lock, but I should have known primetime games for Kirk Cousins don't work out. 3 p.m. games. First one, at Lincoln Financial Field, we got the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Los Angeles Chargers. I think the Chargers bounce back after a loss at home to New England. This would be my upset pick of the week if you want to look at the spreads. When I looked on FanDuel yesterday, the Packers were an underdog in Kansas City. I'm taking the Packers. There really hasn't been a game this week that I like as far as an underdog team goes. I was thinking about going with the Falcons or the Browns or even Houston, but I just couldn't do it for myself this week. So if you want to look based on the spreads and the money lines, Green Bay would be my upset pick of the week in Kansas City. NFC West showdown. We got the Arizona Cardinals going on the road to Levi Stadium to play the San Francisco 49ers. I am taking the Cardinals, and this will be my over-under pick. I like the under In this game, the over-under was at 46-and-a-half. I do like the under in this game. For the night games, we start with Sunday Night Football. We got the Tennessee Titans going to SoFi Stadium to play the Los Angeles Rams. After the injury to Derrick Henry, I had to take the L.A. Rams in this game. It was unfortunate to see for Henry... It's six to ten weeks, apparently, but I still think there's a chance he may not play for the rest of 2021. If that's the case, that could be the end for the Titans this year. But, I mean, it could change. The AFC South is terrible with Jacksonville and Houston being in that division. I don't see the Colts catching the titans so i still think the titans will have that division locked up but it will be a tough time knowing that the best player on the team is not playing so i do like the rams on sunday night and for monday night football this is my lock of the week at heinz field the steelers host chicago i like pittsburgh for the lock this week after a great road win at Cleveland for the Steelers. I definitely think they could be starting to gain some momentum, and I think they will be able to shut down Justin Fields. The NBA City jerseys were released for the NBA's 75th anniversary, and there was some phenomenal jerseys. I'll start in Oklahoma right here. The Thunder, all white, is beautiful. And me as a Heat fan, I love the Heat jerseys for the City ones. I think I love how they were able to incorporate a lot of stuff with the history of the logo, with the different colors, the vices, the jerseys when they first started, when they broke into the NBA in 1980. My favorite part of the jersey is on the sides of the shorts and the jersey on the rib, the hip ribs area, where they put two yellow lines. That was due to the Spurs heat game six when the American Airlines Arena workers brought out the yellow ropes just in case if the Spurs won the championship. But the heat came back. Ray Allen hit the shot. And Ray Allen said, take those yellow ropes back inside. Or it was something like that. The Nets one I thought was really good. I even like the Mavericks going with the throwback green. The Rockets with their throwback. Navy ones. The Celtics, I thought, were really good. I even like the Knicks' black ones. So, it was a good job by the NBA with the city jerseys for the 75th anniversary. The jerseys, I love. I like all of them. I do. But I gave, of course, some of my favorites and all that. NFL trade deadline news. This news shocked everybody in Denver, Colorado, in Los Angeles. And just in the NFL world, Von Miller got traded to the Los Angeles Rams. Some Bronco fans may say that it was for the better with Von Miller getting up there in age. But I was just so shocked that they did it because he will forever be a Bronco. Regardless, if he can't get a championship with the Rams this season, he's a Bronco. Without a doubt. You know, he was a guy that was drafted second overall in 2011 and he won defensive rookie of the year he had 18 and a half sacks in 2012 he was injured in the broncos super bowl year in 2013 and the run he had in the super bowl that 2015 postseason was great it was phenomenal he deserved to be the super bowl mvp and it just shocked me. I mean, I didn't think they would trade him. I really didn't. I thought he would have, would forever be in Denver, but I think it's for the better. Denver is going through a rebuild phase right now. I don't know what the quarterback future holds for that team. So it, it's amazing. It just it feels... Almost everyone on that 2015 Bronco team is not playing anymore, or they're just not at a high level. And it's amazing how they—I'll tell you this—they they were lucky to get a championship with Peyton Manning when they did, because they needed to get one before all the guys got up there in age, and they were able to get one. They were able to luck out pretty good. This weekend at Madison Square Garden. UFC 268. UFC is back in the world's most famous arena. If I was home back in New Jersey, I definitely would have paid a lot of money to get into the building to watch UFC. So I'm going to give my predictions for the main card. Not everything with the prelims. I'm just going to give my predictions and talk about the fights for the main card for this fight. First fight on the main card, we got Frankie Edgar against Marlon Vera. Edgar has a record of 23, 9 and 1. Vera is 17, 7 and 1. The odds, Edgar is a plus 140 underdog to Vera's minus 172. Vera has some advantages. He's plus plus. Two in height, plus two and a half inches in reach, and a plus three inches in a leg reach. This is a bantam weight fight. I am going to take Vera in this fight. Next up, we got Shane Burgos with a 13 and three record against Billy Quarantillo. Tilio, Quarantillo. Yeah, I I wrote it down and just some reason it looked like there was a diff- another letter in there or something like that. I apologize for that. Billy has a 16 and 3 record. This is a featherweight fight. Shane Burgos was a minus 200 favorite to Billy's 160. I am going to take Shane in this fight. Next up a lightweight fight with Justin Gethje. I hope I pronounced that right with a 23 and 2 record, he is a -210 favorite against Michael Chandler with a 22 and 6 record and a +168 underdog. Justin's last fight happened to be In October 2020 at UFC 254 against Khabib Nurmagomedov. That was Khabib's last fight in the UFC. And Chandler has not fought since UFC 262 in May where he lost to Charles Oliveira. I think Chandler's going to rebound in this fight. I actually really, really do. I think after not fighting for a year, you know, that could throw off some fighters. Chandler had a fight five six months ago so i think that will give him a little bit of an advantage i like the odds for the underdog chandler in the fight plus 168 i think that's really good odds for this fight next fight a championship battle for the strawweight women's title it is a rematch from ufc 261 on april 24th 2021 in jacksonville florida the champion Rose Namajunas against Zhang Wiley. Rose has an eleven and four record, and Wiley has a twenty one and two record. On FanDuel, both fighters were minus one ten when I looked at it. So this is a pretty fair fight, but it's a good fight. Rose knocked out Wiley to win the title in round one when these two fought back at UFC 261 I think Wiley gets her redemption and takes back the strawweight title and the main event another rematch this one from UFC 245 on December 14th 2019 this is for the welterweight title for the second time it will be Kamaro Uzman with a 19-1 record against Colby Covington at 15-2. and two. Usman, a minus 290 favorite. Covington, a plus 225 underdog in this fight. Covington has not fought since September 2020. That was when he defeated Tyron Woodley with a TKO in round five, but that was due to a rib injury when these two first fought back in December 2019 Usman got a late round five knockout against Covington and I definitely think Covington will get knocked out again by Kamaru Usman I am definitely taking Usman he is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC the way he was able to knock out Masvidal, back at UFC 261, that was probably the best knockout of the UFC for this year, unless something else crazy happens. You know, he folded Masvidal. He's so strong, he's so quick, and he definitely strikes fear on faces of whoever he's fighting. I'm taking Usman for the win all day. UFC... 268 this Saturday at Madison Square Garden in New York City. I think this is the first time in five years. No, four years. Excuse me. It's four years, yes. Because St. Pierre and Saint Pierre fought in 2017. I can't remember who he fought. Oh, it was Bisping. For the first time in four years, UFC is back in New York City. Unless I'm forgetting another UFC pay-per-view event. But I think... This is the first time since 2017 it's back in New York City because I know Conor McGregor and Eddie Alvarez fought in November 2016, but the following year was Bisping and St. Pierre in November 2017. OSU's athletics. A lot to talk about for this, not for football, but Oklahoma State basketball returns this week. It's an exciting time. Cowboy Basketball is back anytime a new season begins. There's always that excitement. You know, balling and some dunking, fancy dribbling, this and that. Cowboy basketball is back. It starts Thursday where the women's basketball team takes on Southern Mazarine at 6.30 p.m. And the men's basketball team returns Friday. Against Central Oklahoma, that game is at seven. The women play at six thirty. The men play at seven p.m. There's scrimmages, exhibition games, however you want to say it. They don't count as far as the record goes. It's exhibition. You feel your opponents out. You get back into the groove. You you get to play a game again. See how fun it is to play again. So. Basketball returns to Gallagher-Iba Arena, the Madison Square Garden of the Great Plains. It's a rowdy building. I can't wait to set foot in it for the first time. It's connected right next to Boone Pickens Stadium. So, it's a good way how OSU built their the stadiums right next to each other. You don't have to walk very far. They're right next to each other. So... Basketball is back in Stillwater at Gallagher-Iba Arena this week, starting with the women's basketball team playing Southern Mazarin November 4th, and the next day, November 5th, the men's basketball team returns to play Central Oklahoma. Both are scrimmages. Remember, women's game is 6.30, men's game is 7. Oklahoma State's kicker, Tanner Brown, ended up being named the Big 12 special teams player of the week. That's always good props whenever you get a big achievement like that. I don't know if you would consider it a big achievement, but you know, it's it's something to be proud of. You were the best special teams player of the week. He was making his extra points, he kicked his field goals and he did his job. Linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez was named as a Dick buckus award semifinalist you still ask me i will always give this as an answer my answer will never change unless something happens the face of Oklahoma state's team for football is malcolm rodriguez and that will not be changed it it just won't be if it wasn't for Rodriguez, that defense wouldn't be as good as they are. They wouldn't be ranked number 11. They wouldn't have a chance to play teams tough. Big props for Malcolm Rodriguez, linebacker for OSU. Cowboy Wrestling was ranked number seven in the first NWCA coaches poll. Of course, it's led by AJ Ferrari, the 197 pound regional national champion and dayton fix the national runner-up he returns as a senior at 133 pounds cowboy wrestling is back this is you know i admitted it to people wrestling is oklahoma state's dominant sport You know, you always look at schools and you pick, you know, what is their most dominant sport. Alabama will forever be a football school. Kansas is a basketball school. Vanderbilt is baseball. Michigan, Michigan State, North Dakota is always up there for hockey. So, you know, I can admit, you know, wrestling is OSU's most dominant sport. Wrestling... Season at OSU begins November 13th at 4 p.m. as the Cowboys go to California. They will be playing at Stanford. The first time the Cowboys get to wrestle at home is November 28th against Drexel. So the Cowboys do have to wait to start to wrestle at Gallagher Iba Arena. And that is for wrestling. Getting ranked number 7, very good to start. And OSU should definitely be up there in wrestling to win the Big 12 championship. The men's and women's cross-country team, both of them, won the Big 12 championship. Big congrats to that. I'm no runner if you know me. I'm over 250, 60 pounds. I'm not even going to shy away from it. That is big props for OSU to get some more championship trophies into this university. Always great to add another trophy into the university. It's a great accomplishment. Keep bringing the trophies in, all sports. This university needs it. This great university can always use some more trophies that wraps up for the rest of osu's athletics and now time to give this was tough my top 10 cinderella playoff runs of all time now i mentioned it at the start and i will say it again in case you forgot i'm only including big four sports NHL, MLB, NBA, NFL. Because if I included every single sport, number one, without a doubt, would be 1980, The Miracle on Ice. You can even look at 1985, Villanova for basketball, or even 2018, Loyola Chicago. I'm only doing the Big Four. Some of these teams on the list did not get to win the championship. It was a lot to consider. What seed were they when they entered the playoffs? Did they have a tough road to get to the playoffs? Did they upset people? Did they shock teams in the big game to win the title? There was a lot to consider about this. And this was very, very tough. And I know I'm going to aggravate some people with some teams I have on here and some teams I don't have on here. I tried my best. You guys voted on it. You're getting it. The top 10 Cinderella playoff runs of all time. Let's dive right into it. Number 10, the 1999 New York Knicks. The Knicks came into the playoffs in 1999 as an eighth seed, and they had a tough road to get to the NBA Finals. They were able to upset the number one seed, Miami Heat, the Knicks-Heat rivalry will never go away, and they were able to beat them in Miami to advance to round two, where they faced off against the number 4 seed, Atlanta Hawks. They were able to sweep the Hawks in the second round, and then in the conference finals, they were able to upset the number 2 seed, Indiana Pacers and Reggie Miller. Now, they did lose to the Spurs in five games in the 99 finals, but they were the first eighth seed... To ever reach it for the NBA Finals. So that is the number 10 Cinderella playoff run of all time. Number nine, the 2003 Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. The Ducks came into the playoffs in the Western Conference as the seventh seed. And they were not the most talented team. They did have guys on their roster Peter Sikora, Paul Correa, Steve Thomas. And a goaltender nobody really knew about with John Sebastian Jaguar. So in round one, they knock out the defending champion Detroit Red Wings in six games. In round two, they upset the Dallas Stars in six. And that series included a five-overtime game with Peter Sikor scoring the game-winning goal in that trip in that fifth-overtime game. And in the conference finals... They face another Cinderella playoff team, the Minnesota Wild, who were the 6th seed. They had home ice advantage against the seven seed Ducks, and the Ducks sweep them. Now, they did lose in the next round in the Stanley Cup Finals to the New Jersey Devils. But just to show you how Cinderella it was, Jean-Sebastien Jaguer ended up winning the Conn Smythe Trophy despite the Ducks losing the Finals to the Devils. His playoff numbers, he had a 1.62 goals against average with a 945 save percentage and 5 shutouts. The Mighty Ducks of Anaheim definitely rode Cinderella. Number 8, the 1995 New Jersey Devils. The Devils entered the playoffs that year as a fifth seed. They were they had a bad loss to the Rangers in the regular season and they had a long way to climb themselves out of it, but they were able to make it a year That was the lockout year with 48 games played. They entered the playoffs as the fifth seed. They upset Cam Neely and the Boston Bruins in five games. Then they play two division rivals. They beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in five games. And in the conference finals, they got to go up against the Legion of Doom and the Philadelphia Flyers and Claude Lemieux going game five late was one of the most important goals in the history of the Devil franchise. They beat the Flyers in six, and then they got to face the President's Trophy, Detroit Red Wings. They were a heavy favorite, and for the Devils to sweep that Red Wing team, landed them on this list. It it really did. The Devils had to deal with the Ranger fans, the Islander fans, and the Flyer fans bragging about their championships. The Devils were able to get their first championship, and... It was Cinderella for sure as a fit seat to win the Stanley Cup. Number seven, the 2006 Edmonton Oilers. No one would have thought in the 2006 playoffs that the Oilers had any chance of making the Stanley Cup finals. But in round one, they defeat the Detroit Red Wings in six. In the second round, they defeat the San Jose Sharks in And in the conference finals, they had to deal with Cinderella again from the Ducks, who entered the playoffs as the sixth seed. They beat them in the Western Conference Finals. They make it a series against the Carolina Hurricanes, but they lose in seven. But for an eighth seed to force a game seven in the Stanley Cup Finals against the two seed Hurricanes, that lands you on this list. There there is no doubt in my mind. Say whatever you want. The Oilers definitely deserve to be in this list. Number six, the 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers had injuries that year. Roethlisberger got hurt. Jerome Bettis wasn't getting the play in time. He was dealing with injuries earlier in the season. The Steelers sat at 7 5 and they had to win their next four games to get into the playoffs. And the first game they had to win was against the best defense in the NFL, the Chicago Bears. They win that game in the snow. They win out the regular season, and then they go to the playoffs, and they get a rematch with Cincinnati. The last time they played Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, that was when Cincinnati clinched the AFC North Division, and T.J. Hushmanzada, the Bengals wide receiver, wiped his cleats with a terrible towel. Bill Cowher, the Steelers head coach, shows this to his players, and it gets them aggravated. And the Steelers get their revenge. They beat the Bengals in the wild card. They upset the Colts, who was everyone's hot pick for the Super Bowl. Ben Roethlisberger made the tackle of his life and in the history of the Steelers franchise. Mike Vanderjack misses a game-tying field goal. Then they go on the road to beat the Broncos in Denver in the AFC Championship game, and then to cap it off, Jerome Bettis returns home to Detroit, the Motor City at Ford Field, and the Steelers beat the Seahawks. They were the first six seed to win the Super Bowl that lands you on this list. Number 5, the 1969 Miracle Mets. I mean, when you hear miracle, that means you're in there. How can it not? They didn't win 100 games, but you look back on it, no one gave them much of a shot. Not many people were buying into this team that this team was good with guys like, you know, Tom Seaver or Ed Cranepool, or Bud Harlson, or Cleon Jones, Ron Swoboda, and so many other guys. They were able to beat the Braves in the championship series to clinch the pennant. And they played the 109-win Oriole team. And they beat them. And for that team to be titled the Miracle Mets... You are in your spot on my list. I don't care what any other fan has to say. If you're a Yankee fan, if you just hate the Mets, Miracle Mets are on this list. Number four, the 2019 Washington Nationals. At one point in the 2019 season, the Nationals had a 19-31 record. Maybe they're going to trade Scherzer. Maybe they're going to trade Zimmerman maybe they're they're going to trade Howie Kendrick or they're going to trade this guy or that guy it looked like an absolute disaster for the Nats at that time they somehow turn this thing around the game where you had a feeling that this team was special they come back in the ninth inning in early September in a game against the Mets it's one of the worst losses in regular season history in the New York Mets franchise. Kurt Suzuki walks off the Mets in that game, hits a three-run shot, and they keep riding momentum. They keep riding momentum. So they get into the playoffs. They are the first wild-card seed. And what a game at Nationals Park. Juan Soto hits that ball. It's a bases-clearing double he gets tagged out but nobody cared he gave the Nats the lead they beat the Brewers they have to face the LA Dodgers not many people give them a chance they end up winning that series Howie Kendrick hits the grand slam in late in the game I I don't remember if it was the ninth or 10th inning I feel like an idiot I apologize for that but they beat the Dodgers in LA in game 5 They sweep the Cardinals to win the pennant, and then they have to face the Astros. When you win all four road games to win the World Series, you land in the top five. That is what you call Cinderella. You tell me another team that won all four road games to win the World Series. I will wait. But you can't. The Nats are number four. The number three Cinderella story of all time: the 1968 New York Jets. The Jets played in the AFL. They had an 11 and three record, but the NFL was more outmatched, as everybody said. It was topped with the Colts. They were 13 and one. You also had the Cowboys with 12 wins. You had the Browns. So. The Jets play the Raiders to try and get to the Super Bowl. Don Maynard caught a game-winning touchdown in the fourth quarter to win it for New York. And the Jets go down to Miami to play the Baltimore Colts. The Colts were like a 17-and-a-half-point favorite. Nobody gives the Jets a chance to win this game against Don Shula, RIP to him coaching the Colts and Earl Morrill stepped in for Johnny Unitas in a phenomenal way the Colts are 17 and a half point favorites nobody gives them much of a chance and of course Joe Namath everybody remembers it we're going to win the game I guarantee it and the Jets upset the Colts that was probably the biggest highlight of the AFL NFL war at that time in the 60s And you talk to some Colts players, and they'll tell you it was a day in hell how they're not able to win that game. And, of course, the signature of that game was Joe Namath running off the field. He's pointing number 1 up as he's going into the locker room after the game. I watched America's game on the 1970 Baltimore Colts, And that was the Super Bowl where they defeated the Cowboys. But if you look on the faces of the Colts players, you could tell they weren't that excited. And they knew that because they knew they should have two rings, that they shouldn't have just one. They They knew that they should have had two rings instead of just one. The 1968 Jets... Number three, Cinderella playoff runs. The number two Cinderella playoff run of all time, the 2007 New York football Giants. At the end of the 2006 season, sports writers, media everywhere was just saying, get rid of Tom Coughlin. Get rid of this guy. He's horrible. He's too hard on his players. They hate him. So he changes in the 2007 offseason. Looked like a new attitude. It looked like it was going to go very good for the Giants. And then they start 0-2. And it's, okay. here we go again. Get rid of Coughlin. Get rid of Manning. Get rid of Strahan. Get rid of the players. Get rid of Ernie Accorsi. Just get rid of everybody. They win at FedEx Field against Washington. And they're able to rip off six straight. One win turned into six straight. Which also included the first game the NFL played in London. They had to travel to Wembley Stadium to play the Dolphins, and they beat them. And they win in Week 16 against Buffalo to clinch a playoff spot. And they play the Patriots Week 17 at Giants Stadium. Players are People are saying they should rest their players, this and that. The Giants lost the game, but Giant players had a feeling, if we played them again, maybe we could beat them. Because Michael Strahan on the America's game on the 2007 Giants even admitted, when they played them, they were playing for nothing. The Giants were playing for nothing, but the Patriots were playing for everything. They were playing for that perfect season. They go into the playoffs as the fifth seed, and Rondé Barber's criticizing Eli Manning, just like Tiki Barber was criticizing Eli Manning before the year started. Giants beat the Bucs in Tampa Bay, then they go to Dallas, and Tom Coughlin heard about this before the game that Jerry Jones put two tickets in the locker rooms or on the player's stool of each Cowboys player. People thought that the Cowboys already won this game. Why did the Giants need to show up? Well, the Giants upset them and then they go to Lambeau Field in the NFC Championship game. Brutal cold conditions. All you needed to do was look at Tom Coughlin's face. They upset the Packers, and then they get their rematch. They were a 12-point underdog in that Super Bowl. And for them, to the David Tyree catch, to the Plexco Burris touchdown in the end zone, phenomenal Cinderella playoff run. It's arguably the biggest upset in sports history. The 18 0 Patriots lose to the Giants in the Super Bowl. The 07 Giants, number two. And the number one Cinderella playoff run of all time, the 2012 Los Angeles Kings, the first eighth seed to win the Stanley Cup. I mentioned at the start of the list in 1999, the Knicks were an eight seed, and I can actually remember this as I'm sitting down recording this right now. I don't know how I'm able to remember this. I was in fifth grade, and I remember talking to my teacher at the time, Mr. D, and if he's somehow listening to this, I have not seen you in a decade. I actually wish I could sit down and talk to you about sports and see how your life's been. But I remember asking him, has there ever been an eighth seed to win the Stanley Cup? And he said no, but he remembered that the Knicks made it in 99, which I mentioned. Who would have thought that what I asked would turn into a reality with the Kings winning the Cup in 2012? The Kings were having problems scoring goals in the beginning of the year. They fired their coach. They bring in Daryl Sutter. They were out of the playoffs by the trade deadline. Rumors were going around they were going to trade Dustin Brown. He has a hat trick in the game where the rumors were starting to come true, or they were false rumors. They get into the playoffs as an eighth seed, a seed where no team won the Cup. They face the President's Trophy, Vancouver Canucks, who won the President's Trophy for the second straight year. They beat them in five games. It was an upset. Then they sweep the number 2 seed, the St. Louis Blues, who had the best home ice advantage in the NHL, and then they beat the three-seed Phoenix Coyotes, a team that beat out the Kings to win the Pacific Division. They beat them in five, and then they face another Cinderella team with the New Jersey Devils in the Cup Final in 2012, and... They beat Marty Bordeaux, Zach Parise, Ilya Kovalchuk, Travis Zajac, Patrick Eliash in the Stanley Cup final. They became the first 8 seed to win the Stanley Cup. And I look back on it. That win helped bring hockey back to Los Angeles. It was a basketball and a baseball town with the Dodgers and the Lakers. And for the Kings to win the Cup, that brought hockey alive in the city of Los Angeles so the top 10 Cinderella playoff runs of all time I will repeat it number 10 the 1999 New York Knicks number 9 the 2003 Mighty Ducks of Anaheim number 8 The 1995 New Jersey Devils. Number seven, the 2006 Edmonton Oilers. Number six, the 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers. Number five, the 1969 New York Mets. Number four, the 2019 Washington Nationals. Number three, the 1968 New York Jets. Number two, the 2007 New York Giants. And number one, the 2012 Los Angeles Kings. This is my opinion On the top 10 Cinderella playoff runs of all time, I know a lot of people will say, well, what about the 2011 Cardinals or the 2011 Giants, for that matter? We can stay in the same year. The 2014 San Francisco Giants or the 2010 Packers, the 2004 Flames, even a team like the 2010 Flyers or the 2008 Rays or even the 2020 Miami Heat. There was just so much to consider. It was very hard. I tried to please everybody. I tried to give some good reasoning why teams were as high as they are, and that's why. And that is all the time I have for Episode 9 of the Jake's Takes Podcast. I hope you guys absolutely enjoyed it. This is, right now, my longest episode that I have ever done here recording this so I appreciate you guys if you are still with me listening to this nearly it over 50 minutes long actually really happy to have had a lot of topics to talk about this and that to OSU's dominating win with homecoming to the next game my picks for N- the NFL and UFC some news that was going around in OSU's athletics with the big 12 championships and player of the week with wrestling starting back up and basketball starting back up you can definitely catch me this week if if not if i can't go to the scrimmages you can absolutely catch me next week at brandon or just regular gallagher iba arena the madison square garden of the great plains i love that nickname for basketball i will be at the women's and the men's and also wrestling too at that historic building that's seen so many national championships jake ferraro from stillwater oklahoma signing off